Thank you, Han, so much for reading that portion of God's word to us. Good morning to you. Lovely to be with you once more, to join with you in these Christmas celebrations. Unfortunately, Christine and myself, we return to Melbourne this afternoon, so we won't be here during Christmas, but we trust that God's blessing will be upon each of you as you celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus, and may you know the the comfort of God's presence as indeed you continue to worship him. But Lord willing, we are back with you uh, next Sunday morning. Music and the military share a long relationship. Uh, One only has to uh, think of Amazing Grace that became so popular some years back. Amazing Grace being played by bagpipes of all things, uh, but uh, piped by the Royal Scots Dragoon Guards. And then you think of the Coldstream Guards that so frequently play before the Queen. There's a little fact that comes out on the uh, uh, Normandy Day, D-Day, when Lord Lovett's uh, commandos were piped ashore during that uh, infamous, that that, that, uh, great and yet terrible day. And, And sadly, for some of us, on Christmas Day 2016, 64 members of the Red Army Choir were killed in an air crash and their plane crashed into the Black Sea. You're saying, who are the Red Army Choir? Well, the Red Army Choir was the official choir of the Russian Armed Forces and one of the great choirs of the world. And it was a great tragedy when that happened. But I'm telling you these things because it's, it seems, seems strange, does it not, to have those trained to fight and to kill spending time singing and making music. Glorious anthems being sounded forth by an army. Yet it was such an ensemble that broke into the night's darkness and sang the hymn of praise to the birth of the Savior that you find recorded here by Luke chapter 2 verses 13 and 14. Because in this portion that was just read to you, we read of this heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on the earth peace amongst those with whom he is pleased. Who is this heavenly host? Well, that word host simply means army. That here is the army of heaven. Here is heaven's army choir. Bursting forth into praise of our God. Announcing peace at the birth of the Prince of Peace. Last Sunday we considered the Benedictus. The hymn of Zechariah. The previous Sunday we looked at the Magnificat. The glorious hymn of Mary. This morning we listened to those words that Nathan pointed us to right at the beginning of our service. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Glory to God 
in the highest. The hymn of praise that bursts forth. This hymn that comes to us following the announcement of the angel. Announcement and pronouncement that a savior was born. Christ the Lord. What was this news about Jesus Christ? Well, if you look in that 10th verse of that second chapter, the angel said to the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. I bring you good news. I bring you the gospel. The gospel, the good news of a saviour. A saviour now lying in a manger. And this, this good news which is being announced is inseparably linked to the glory of God. For what is the hymn of heaven's army but glory to God in the highest? It is the good news that is inseparably linked to the gift of God because it is glory in the highest and on earth peace, and it is the good news of the grace of God, for it is glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And hence the outline of my sermon this morning and that you have at the back page of your bulletin. What is this gospel that's been announced What are the words of this praise that is brought to us? Well, the gospel, you see, has to do with the glory of God. Glory to God in the highest. How do you define this word glory? Glory is God's own word. It is a word which highlights the very perfections of God himself. Glory belongs to God. It is his property. It defines his character and his being, his majestic greatness. Glory is the combination of all of God's qualities. Not his power alone. Not his righteousness alone, not his wisdom alone, nor his gentleness, but all these and more wedded together in perfect harmony and unity. And as these combined characteristics, this glory, which makes God, God. And at times his glory has been displayed to men And to women. It lingered over the tabernacle of old. On occasion it filled the temple. You'll remember. You know your Old Testament. Moses desired to see it. And God showed him as it were. The hem of his garment. The edges of his splendor. And the glory of his goodness. And the glory of his name. Isaiah was confronted with the glory of his majesty. And in the midst of of fear and trembling and self-loathing, he was comforted 
by the glory of God's mercy. Ezekiel gazed on the living creatures and the rushing wheels and the eyes that searched every corner of the cosmos so that the prophet saw something of the glory of God's government over this world. And then Jesus came. The Christ child is born. And it's the Apostle John who wrote, And we beheld his glory. And this is what you see in the life of Christ. The glory of, of his surrendered will. The words in the garden. Not my will, but thine be done. The glory of the sinless walk. Peter records he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. There was the glory of his steadfast words. He was able to say the old terms, verily, verily, I say unto you. And the glory of his saving work. For where do you see the glory of God displayed? But in the face of Jesus Christ. A face battered, bruised, bloodied. Yet in that face of heaven's beloved, we behold God's wisdom and faithfulness and meekness and majesty and mercy and love and grace and holiness and justice and truth and so forth. All uniting and so displaying the glory of God personified in the Son of God who's come to earth to live and to die for lost and fallen men and women. Glory to God in the highest sings heaven's army choir. Because the the, the goal of the gospel is doxological. The glory of the gospel, the end of the gospel, the goal of the gospel, is that we too might sing with this choir. Praise to God and we might bow down before him lost in wonder, love and praise. Because the reality, my friends, is this. The gospel is not primarily about us. It's about God and his greatness and his grandeur and his grace. And so in every Christian's heart there ought to be a beat, a passion. For the desire that he would manifest his glory. As John Piper put it. God is the gospel. And it's only when we see that. And it's only when we get that. That Christianity is seen as much more than than a ticket to heaven. But it's about God himself and his glory. And his dominion and power and authority. It's about desiring God. It's about delighting in God. It's about depending upon God. It's declaring the praises of God. That's the Christianity that you find in the New Testament. That's true Christianity. It's God-centered. And it's God-exalting. You see, let me put it like this. Unless the good news of the gospel causes us to join this choir and sing glory to God in the highest, we haven't really understood the gospel. We haven't really comprehended 
the true nature of the gospel. We haven't understood the depth of the gospel. When we truly, by God's grace, see it and know it, it leads us to God. For Christ died in order to bring us to God. The gospel has to do with the glory of God. But then secondly, you notice in this hymn of praise recorded in verse 14, that the gospel has to do with the gift of God. On earth, peace, peace, perfect peace. Now it's at this point that we, we need to, to, to understand something of the words of the, the text that you have before you. Some clarification and, and, uh, is called for here. Because this announcement of peace is not for all people everywhere without reservation or regulation. Now I say that because the, the, the authorized version of the King James Version, for which we, we, we thank God, But because of the the King James Version and therefore many Christmas cards and carols translates verse 14 with these words. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. The better rendition or translation comes this way. You may have it in your NIV. I'm using an ESV this morning. Peace amongst those with whom he is pleased. Because the emphasis of the text, the emphasis of the hymn, is on God, and the implication is unmistakable. There are those with whom God is well pleased, and there are those with whom God is not well pleased, upon whom his favor does not rest. You see, there is no comfort here in this text. There's no comfort here in this song for God denying, Christ rejecting, sin-loving, rebellious men and women. The Christmas message has an edge to it. It's not all about cards and cakes and turkeys and hams and funny hats and crackers. It's serious. And it's searching. For while God's peace through the gospel is offered to all, only those who will call upon his name, only those who will bend their knee to King Jesus, will know the peace of God. This, this peace only resides with those who, who, where, where God's presence is sought and where His praise is heard. This, this peace comes to those who have come to this child and owned Him as their Lord and Master. But this peace, this gift that God would grant to us, this peace which is announced here, impacts us in three ways. And I'm sure I'm not saying or teaching anything new to you here this morning. But the three elements, the three regions are simply this. 
Because of the gospel of Christ Jesus, because of the glory of God in the gospel, we have peace with God. This was Paul's argument, wasn't it, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. We've been justified by the grace of God. And because of that, we have, he says, as believers now, we have peace with God. We have been reconciled to God by the blood of his Son. The war is over. We are now friends. The weapons have been put away. Let me try and illustrate it this way. Some of you may know the name of Don Richardson. His book, which became a film, Peace Child. Don was a missionary amongst the warring tribes in in Arian Jaya, now West Papua. And seeking to bring the gospel to these warring cannibalistic tribes, finding it extremely difficult until they saw something and they learned something within the culture of those tribes. They discovered that to make peace between warring tribes, young babies, children were exchanged between opposing villages. One man in particular would run towards his enemy's camp, literally carrying his baby son with him to give to his hated enemy, his hated foe. And as long as that that child lived, there was peace between the tribes. And this, of course, was a wonderful picture of what God the Father did. He gave his one and only son, his one and only begotten son, to his enemies and for his enemies in order to make peace. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God, not by our piety, not by our parentage, not by our nationality, not by our activity, not by our productivity, not by liturgy or by sacrament, not by illustration or instruction or devotion, but peace with God by Christ alone, through Christ alone. We have peace with God. Peace Because of the person who came, Christ Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And he came to make peace. And I wonder if that peace is yours this morning. I wonder if you know peace with God. That you can go to him this Christmas season and call him your father. And know that the relationship is perfect. Because you come through his son and you're accepted By the beloved. Peace with God. But not only that. This peace. This gift that is granted to us. Is the peace of God. The peace of God. I'm turning to Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. Verse 6 through 7. Philippians chapter 4. Verses 6 through 7. Words that I'm sure you you will recognize and you will know and many of you probably have memorized it. Paul says in this fourth verse of this fourth chapter, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. 
But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What is it that disturbs our minds? What is it that upsets our hearts? Conflict, confusion, fear, uncertainty, trials, troubles, tribulation. Even the thought of tomorrow may fill some of us here with trepidation. But you see, here is the apostle's antidote for anxiety. What does he say in verse 6? Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God will guard your understanding. If you notice the steps that he sets out here. If you notice the way he deals with us. What is the way to know and to experience the peace of God? Well, he says, pray. Pray. But you see, he uses a particular term here. He's speaking of prayer here, not just in a general sense, but he's speaking of prayer in the sense of adoration. Of bowing prostrate before God because of his majesty and his might and his dominion and power. It's bowing before God with that realization of what is our God like? Who is this one before whom I'm coming to pray? What is my God like? You see, it's, it's, it's applying your theology to your prayer life. You know, some, sometimes people say, well, no, I'm not interested in, 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 in theology. I'm interested in the practical Christian life. Good. God bless you. But there's no practical Christian life without theology. You've got to know your God in order to enjoy your God and walk with God. So he says, pray. Pray. Adore God. Fill your mind with who he is. Use your mind. Think about your God. Is your God a big God or is your God a little God? Then he says, supplicate. Bring to God that that concern that you have, that problem that you had, that, that, that mountain that's before you. Bring that thing that is causing the disquiet within. Bring that to God. And if you've got God rightly set in your mind as all glorious and all great. What is that mountain to the God who makes mountains? What is that problem to the God who is over all? What is that situation to the God with whom nothing is impossible? If you get your prayer right and you bring your supplication the end result is what? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Because you recognize that though my problem is real and large and confronting me, my God is sufficient. My God is able. And so I'll rejoice and be glad in him. I'll be thankful. And I will know the peace of God ruling in my heart. And if you want an example of that, 
You only have to go to the fourth chapter of the Acts of the Apostles in the early church. They learned the lesson very quickly. Because I think they learned it from Paul and I think Paul learned it from our Lord. Because what happened in Acts chapter 4? Peter and John are being threatened. They've been penalized for their preaching and teaching. They're threatened and sent back to the church and they go back to the believers. How? Trembling, fearful, gathering the church together. Brothers, we've got to pray. We've got this huge enemy. We've got this strong army. We've got Rome against us. We've got these threatenings. What, what are we going to do? Read Acts 4 and you find they go back to their church having been threatened. And what do they do? They remind themselves of who God is. Oh, sovereign Lord, you who are the creator of the heavens and the earth. You see, they they get their mind focused on what God is like and who he is. On his sovereignty, on his power, his dominion, his authority. And then after getting their theology correct in their prayers, then they bring their request to God. And you see a delightful demonstration of the peace of God in the hearts of these people who then continue to minister the word of God in the fullness of God's spirit. This is what it means. That God would grant to us peace with himself and then the peace of God that would guard our hearts and minds And the third element of this gift that the choir sings about is the peace from God. The peace from God that Paul speaks of in Romans 12 and verse 18. That peace from God that we can know in the midst of a situation or a circumstance. That peace from God that we can share with others. That peace which comes out of us because it is part of the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit of God producing this peace in us so that we become peacemakers. So that we who bring peace into the lives of others because we know this peace of God in our own life. Some of you will know that following a family tragedy in which four of his daughters drowned during a transatlantic voyage in November 1873, Horatio Spafford wrote, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And I know some of you have been there. Well, maybe not to the same extent of Spafford. But grief has come to us. And sadness has surrounded us. And darkness has descended. And yet amazingly, miraculously, God's peace has enabled us and supported us. And while the tears may have flowed and while our heart has ached and the loneliness lingers so long, we do not curse God, but we confess. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
That's the gift of God's peace. His peace to us through his son. So that we have peace with God. Know the peace of God. And that peace from God. The gift announced by heaven's army choir. And thus again I ask. Do you know it? Have you got this peace? If not, would you like to have it? Because you see, finally this morning, as we look at this glory and excelsis Deo, this this hymn of heaven's army, the gospel has to do with the grace of God. The grace of God. Peace amongst those with whom he is well pleased with whom he is well pleased surely the question is this how are we to know if we belong to those with whom God is well pleased how do you know this morning how do you know this morning sitting here that you're amongst this group with whom God is well pleased Well, what does that sort of look at? I was reminded of the words that you find in Psalm 147, verse 11. It says this, listen. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. And wonderfully, I think, there's a picture of such people preserved for us here. What do those whom God is well pleased with look like? What characterizes them? They're described for us in verse 8 of Luke chapter 2 and verses 15 to 20. And I've just gleaned four little things from them as I draw to a close. And the first is this. They look like these shepherds. These Shepherds In the same region there were shepherds in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Now I was trying, to, I was tossing up in my mind, do I describe them as their humility? And then I thought, well, they may not have been really humble people. But surely their estate, their position, their situation as shepherds was a humble one. Hence the outline that you have there, their humble estate. They were shepherds. Now, don't get your knowledge of the Bible from Christmas cards, okay? Most Christmas cards will show you shepherds as grown men. Most shepherds were boys. You only have to think of King David. He became king. He was, he was the youngest one. He was out looking the ship. Most shepherds in those days were boys. They, they had over them usually a chief shepherd. But most shepherds were boys. And they were not held in very high esteem by society. They were the kind of boys that you would find in a Charles Dickens novel. As someone put it, shepherds weren't the sort of people careful to distinguish between mine and yours. If you think through that one. They had such an unsavory reputation that they were not allowed to testify in court. They just couldn't be trusted and they just couldn't be believed. 
Yet here were the kind of people Jesus associated with. Tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners. And they heard them gladly. And Paul picks up that very point. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And uh, if you really think you are someone of significance and importance here this morning, let me tell you a truth that you need to hear. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing that things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. That's our state, folks. If you're someone well-pleased, you're someone with really uh, with not much pedigree in this world. You recognize without him you're lost. Without him you're nothing. Here were people of humble estate. But I want you to notice what you get in verse 15. They're hearing. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, well, what does they, what does they say? Notice their words. Notice what they did not say. What they did not say was this, let us go to Bethlehem and see if these things are true. No. Here were some people Even boys who confidently, assuredly, with faith-given, spirit-born conviction about the truth and trustworthy of the heavenly message went. They did not doubt the word from heaven. They did not debate the message of the angels and of the host. They listened to this choir. They heard this word from heaven. And they believed it. So it says they went. There is an obedience here. To the word of God. The correct hearing of God's word. For the scriptures tells us. Don't they. That we're not simply to be hearers. But doers of the words. That's true listening. And they listened well. They heard properly. And you note, thirdly, they hissed. Verse 16. And they went with hissed and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. What's the application here? Behold, says the scripture. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. These shepherds were so gripped by grace that they left everything in order to go to Jesus. They didn't wait for a more convenient time like Felix. Do you remember Felix? Recorded there in the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 24. Felix decides to to, uh, have an audience with with Paul, hoping that Paul will give him a bribe so that Felix can let Paul free. Paul preaches to Felix and this, this woman with him, Jerusalem. 
And we read the amazing words. It says that as a response of hearing Paul preach, Felix trembled. The message got to him. Felix trembled at what the apostle said. But then when you look at the text, you find that only Felix trembled. It says nothing about his lady friend trembling. Only Felix. But the tragedy was this. Felix only trembled. He did not believe. He did not repent. He did not bow the knee to King Jesus. He only trembled. He was only emotionally moved by the message. But it did nothing to him. And it says that he left Paul for a more convenient season. And it would appear that there was never another convenient season. But not so these shepherds. They heard. They made haste. And so you see their hearts. Look at verse 17. And when they sought, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. What came out of their hearts? Two things. They're witnessing. They couldn't help but tell of what they'd seen and heard. It was so exciting, it was so amazing, it was so wonderful, it was so transforming. They couldn't be still. They couldn't be silent. They witnessed All who heard it wondered about what the shepherds had told them. And there was worship. There was worship. That 20th verse, they returned glorifying and praising God for all they'd heard and seen and what they'd been told. What a transformation. What a transformation. Do you think God was well pleased with these shepherds? Do you think God was pleased that they'd heard in such a way that they responded? That they'd made haste, they were eager to see the Christ child? And that they're now lost in praise and in worship? Pleased with people who welcomed his word, believed his word, Responded to his word, obeyed his word, declared his word, and worshipped the word who had become flesh, even Christ our Lord. Do you think God was pleased with such people? Well, do you want to discover, is God pleased with you? Well, here's all you have to do, my friend. This is all you have to do. You've just got to ask yourself one question. One question this morning. Do I see myself among these shepherds? Do I see myself among these shepherds? Can I, can I see myself doing what they did? Can I see myself 
listening to God's word? Can I see myself seeking Jesus with all my heart? Can I see myself sharing the gospel with others? Can I see myself glorifying and praising God? Can I see myself doing what they did? In other words, verse 20, does that describe you? And does that describe me? Gloria and excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the highest. This was no longer a presentation by some soldiers. And it was a personal thing now by some shepherds. And so I want to ask, can you see yourself among these shepherds singing God's praises? My friends, this Christmas, I ask you, if not, why not? Why not follow these shepherds? Why not join with these soldiers? Why not taste and see that the Lord is good? Why not believe and come this Christmas to the Savior? Why not come to Jesus? Because I assure you, there's a welcome that waits for you. Why not join with the heavenly host and sing glory, glory to God in the highest. Let's pray together. Our Father, help us to understand, help us to take it in. And not just the outline of the story, not just the events that took place, but our Father personally. To look at these things as a mirror to see ourselves. Are we, are we like these shepherds? With the same urgency. The same vitality. The same desire. The same drive. Do we see ourselves in this group of people. Who are pleasing to you. Oh Father you came to them. You called them. You drew them. You excited them. You transformed them. Grant to us such grace. That we might glorify you by enjoying you forever. And we ask it in the Savior's name. Amen.